Welcome to episode 12 of Honestly Unbalanced. This week we chat to Mira Manek, who FYI makes the most incredible chai tea I have ever tasted. Uh, so Mira is uh, an author of cookbook, Saffron Soul, and of another book called Pranja, Ayurvedic Rituals for Happiness. Uh, Mira's designed wellness uh, menus for restaurants all over the world, including in Mumbai and in London. And her chai spice mix has been taken on by various cafes, including her own, Chai by Mira which is a cafe associated uh, with Tri Yoga in Kingley Court, Carnaby Street, Soho. Uh, Mira's got a background in journalism and she's written for loads of magazines and newspapers and we had the most enjoyable chat. So I think not only will you enjoy it, but fingers crossed you'll learn a lot from it too. Enjoy, guys. So I'm sure plenty of you are enjoying practicing yoga from home at the moment. And did you know Holly and I actually have our own online platform at thehustlers.com? No T in that. Uh, We update it weekly with 60-minute classes, shorter classes, breakdowns, Holly's sound journeys, meditations, and a lot more. Uh, If you head to the website, you'll see all sorts of packages. I guess our USP is that we update constantly that we're constantly filming constantly updating uh, and every week there are new classes for you to do so have a little peek if you fancy that honestly unbalanced so Mira, lockdown we may as well get this out of the way because everyone is i don't want to talk about lockdown too much but (laughs) it's a reality of where we are how is it treating you lockdown has been fascinating and interesting and mostly with a lot of um, nice highs and days of, you know, sunshine and walking and running. And then a few days of sort of, you know, not really wanting to feel, not really feeling motivated. I had one of those days yesterday, but luckily not too many of those. I've actually found it really amazing to rediscover my, I guess, nature in a way. You know, walking is something that I used to do, but not necessarily just to walk it would be to get somewhere and going out for that walk just to be out and going for that walk and running has felt amazing and every day every day every time I run gets better and better and funnily enough before lockdown I used to say oh I don't like running I used to just only do classes at the gym or like weights or you know yoga Um, but since lockdown I've started running and initially I found it really hard but I've increased and increased and increased and you know on Sunday I ran a 9k so it's quite an improvement for me and I found it like that adrenaline rush and all of that just feels exhilarating on the day and I just I really look forward to it so I guess in a way reconnecting with myself with nature with London in a way but also I've been studying a bit and connecting with people on Instagram and doing lives it's been quite nice in some ways um splintered with difficult moments I, I just I was just thinking there what you said it, it suggests that actually a lot of what we were doing in London life and we, like you are super busy I guess everything has purpose Everything, there is a specific reason, as you say, for walking everywhere, for going to a class. Everything has function, it's logical, this is why I'm doing that. And I guess, as you say, at this time, we're doing things more just to do them for no purpose, which can be quite alien mm. to some that lives in a big city. Yeah, and that's when ideas come to the mind or, you know, you sort of awaken to things around you that normally you wouldn't notice. I know it might sound a bit like over done or you know cliched but you know going out and noticing the leaves or noticing the sun coming through or the flowers and the way they change or the fact that you know on the start of your run or walk you might the flower hasn't yet awoken and by the time you come back it has and all those sorts of things the the little things the details that you don't necessarily notice on a walk somewhere when you're on the phone to somebody Mm -hmm. so when and when and if life continues as normal is there anything that you would want to take with you in back into the real world as it were are there any long-term changes you think yeah i've been thinking about that a lot actually considering we might be coming out of it in a sense um pretty soon and i guess one thing i don't want to lose is that um that sort of freestyle connection with nature and walking and running um because it's given me so much and secondly 
not rushing. I think there was just a lot of that rushing for no purpose in a way mm. and really establishing or realizing what it is that I'm trying to achieve with everything that I'm doing. So the rushing, what was the, you know, what was the purpose of busying myself all the time? Mm. Yes, certain things are um, necessary, but not everything is necessary. Mm. And just reestablishing those sort of reasons and looking into things a bit more and saying no to things a lot more easily. Um, and <laughs> lastly, I think it all boils down to caring a little bit less about what others think. <laughs> Love that. And that's something I do a lot. You know, I was speaking to my friend yesterday and I was like, you know, it was related to actually social media or something that um, uh, somebody hadn't responded to or something. I can't remember exactly what, but it comes up a lot in my mind and then I ruminate on it. And then I think, well, actually, I'm a person who doesn't even you know i don't ever show that i care but actually i care about other, pe other people's opinion a lot and that's one thing that you know not attending something or someone taking something badly affects me a lot and so trying to care a little bit less about that focusing on me a little bit more selfish as that sounds um will hopefully take a lot of that noise out of my mind and make me focus on the present moment a bit more. Mm. You have a really lovely quote in your gorgeous book, and I'm so sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, Prajna, have I said Prajna, that? Pra yeah, Prajna, yeah. Prajna, <laughs> meaning wisdom, right? Yeah. So you've got a lovely quote on the back, a timely reminder to love yourself, to give yourself that much needed moment to stop and breathe. So I guess this, this time has been that for you in, in many ways. It has been. And funnily enough, I was um, speaking to somebody else about how this book, I feel like there are rituals in this book that have come more to life now than ever before. You know, mm -hmm. I practiced, I don't know, stretches in the evening. Sometimes I didn't always do, get around to doing those things or, you know, waking up and doing that breath work, it's, which is such an important part of my day. But actually there were days when I maybe didn't do it because I was rushing somewhere. Mm. And now I actually do spend those five, 10, 15, however long it is, just doing that one thing. And those rituals are now such an important part of my day that I just don't want to lose them. And obviously the list could go on. And there, there might be some days when I don't do it or the cleansing waters that I drink, maybe one day that I don't do it. But actually that's more the exception than the rule, which I love. It's, I think the, the interesting thing with these rituals, I think you mentioned, I think in an article was Al, that you wrote for Al, that you have these rituals yeah. that helped you through a hard period. And I think that's often when we try and give ourselves some kind of medicine like that, when we're going through hard stuff. But the moment things get normal again, and we kind of sink back into normal life, we forget these things. It's just like, you know, when a lot of people are dying, they've, you know, they might have spent their whole life with an atheist, but they start praying to God again. We often want the help when we really need it. And so you, you I guess right now, I guess it is a stressful time for many people business wise, but it's not crazy stressful in a sense, or there's not, it's not over dramatic for many people, but I am seeing many people come back to whether you want to call them rituals or nice antidotes or just self care. These are featuring a lot more in people's lives as something just to do daily for the sake of doing them. And you think, are, you, are you saying, that I guess, that you'll do more of that going forward and actually make sure you make the space for it despite the busyness? Yes, I'd like to. And like I said, I think, you know, when you start busying yourself and when life does get a little bit busy, you, you start saying yes to everything. And actually, mm. it, I think that comes from a place of FOMO. And mm. I've had a lot of that in my life. And considering, you know, I... I'm on a spiritual path or you know I feel like I'm in balance in some ways um there are moments of that franticness in my mind and actually the journey of spirituality or the journey of writing a book like this or the journey of just um or practicing yoga in some ways comes from that place of maybe being frantic or losing something mm. or going through a difficult period yeah and so sometimes you come back to that and so life is always about just trying to move back into that balance and trying to sustain it in some way yeah um and yeah you're right like rituals are so handy when you're going through troubles and periods and that's how this book was written you know i was going through years of um a very long divorce and pain and feeling depressed and i was actually depressed and actually i didn't really understand these terminologies all of this was very sort of I don't know, maybe I wasn't in that world or it wasn't spoken about a lot, but I thought of them as things of oh, being sad or do you know what I mean? Like, mm. And I used rituals or different things or tools, I guess. I call them tools 
to pick me up but i didn't think of them as tools i just did certain things you know maybe i saw once in when i was living abroad i was seeing a pranic healer or i was clearing the space with incense sticks or i was um uh, going out and s- sitting in the sun just things that made me feel happy not because they were tools but because those little moments gave me moments of happiness mm. and if you add up those moments of happiness during the day hopefully you'll get like x number of hours of happiness do you know what i mean and then and through those small moments you tie together a string of uplifting um sense of a you know sense of upliftment yeah you you start to uh build yourself your own toolbox over the years don't you You find the things that work for you and you let go of the things that don't can you give us perhaps maybe three things that you do regularly to find your way back to balance that you've signed the things that you've collected that you really hold on to that really work for you yeah absolutely i think my top one would be breath work mm. um it's something that's been really important for me i do a lot of kundalini yoga now and breath work and mm-hmm. pranayama but i started off with breath work not knowing really what breath work was or even what pranayama was but when i was doing yoga out in dubai i started um realizing that the ujjayi breath which you use in yoga you can take out of class and actually calm your anxiety mm-hmm. or your sense of mm-hmm. sudden um, angst or if you're about to start crying. And that breath calmed me down. And so I just started using that breath on a day-to-day basis and it literally just took me from being, obviously now I understand these terms, but being in the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic mm-hmm. or being in that sort of slightly more um, collected response, um, not frantic in my mind so it really helped me at that time and so over time over the years coming to London practicing yoga starting my yoga practice more in a more serious way I then started doing breathwork classes and kundalini and understanding how the breath works and the many many facets of the breath Mm. obviously Um, and that really has helped me so I'd say one and obviously you can just do one simple thing which is slowing the breath down and that can just completely calm you down but there's so much more it can do mm. so that's one thing and i love kapal Bhati and all these things and i think my journey really started with that whole um lose i've had very poor digestion and i've ruined my sort of digestion even more by eating very erratically and so things like kapal Bhati, which is the um breath of the, the cleansing breath really really helped me and so trying to make sure that I do that on a daily basis is something that I always come back to my second ritual would be eating on time and I think Ayurveda considering I've written a book on Ayurveda and the core elements of Ayurveda are sort of based on digestion and the digestive fire being at its strongest and again like I said because my journey began with sort of um wreaking havoc in a sense with my digestion by doing different diets i think coming back to and trying to instill those practices of trying not to snack between meals making sure that i don't eat after a certain time um really really helped me and really helped my digestion and so just ensuring that i stick to that and when i get busy i don't stick to that i go mm. out i might have a drink and have some nuts with that and mm. have something else and all of that adds up and creates a day where I kind of feel not so great. Mm. So making sure that I can sustain that and stick to that, it's quite important for my body at least. And the last one, I would say just, I guess I'm very um, sensitive to how I feel in my body. And so making sure that movement and stretch, stretching are a part of my day-to-day life um really helps me and it helps with digestion it helps with feeling good it helps with the endorphins um and it helps with keeping my body um feeling like it doesn't you know need to uh have a massage every every (laughs) every day um because i feel like i I do get that sense of you know hunching and when i actually work and i need to open myself out um so yeah, mm. those are the, I think those are my three top things for I now. I love that. So going back to your um, your diets, what, what was it that caused havoc on your digestive system? Then why were you trying lots of different diets? Did you have some underlying problem or what, what was it that? So I um, never really had any issues until I got to the age of say 16. I did have like, I knew I had sort of a mild form of IBS even at a young age because I went to a doctor because I used to get 
stomach aches sometimes mm. but I never really had body issues or my skin was fine everything was fine at the age of 16 I changed school and everything changed like my routine changed my friends changed I was unsure about myself and at the same time my body started changing and the lunches from a school where everything was really healthy and holistic and on time to at 16 going to a school where everything was a little bit more unhealthy mm. and we were just allowed to eat whatever we wanted and I didn't really have a, a sense of discipline because my life was disciplined by the sheer routine that I had before that but I didn't think of it as something that you know I did it was just something that happened mm. so going at the age of 16 to a school where you know I suddenly might you know start putting on weight everything was a little bit unhealthy I started snacking a lot and I started getting acne and that was the point that was a bit of a turning point in my life where at the same time there was you know I was reading all this media articles about you know low-fat diets and no sugar and obviously all your friends speak about it as well and um, not no sugar sorry low fat um, low fat diets and um, and trying to uh, and I developed food issues basically a lot of different food issues and they carried on in university I did weight watches for all year and in a very unhealthy way I didn't think of food as nutrition I just ate nutritious food as a child and at my first school but I didn't think of it as being nutrition. It's not something I thought, oh, I need to eat this in order for my hair not to fall out or mm. in order for me to feel well in my body. But these things started affecting my hair and these things started affecting uh, my nutrition and my energy levels really fell. And I didn't know why. I had no idea why. And I developed these food issues and they continued for years. Um, and as it is, my digestion was a little bit slow. And then I, on top of that, I did all these diets um, and basically yo-yo dieted but also yo-yoed in my weight fluctuation mm. it just went up and down over the years and that was my constant that was like the bane of my life getting thin and getting fat and getting yeah. thin and getting fat yeah. and I used those terms because at the time we did use those terms and at the time I thought of thinness as the yardstick of being healthy Mm -hmm. um, yeah that was a thing which which, <laughs> which is quite yeah it was a thing and mm. in a way in some ways it still is when you you know, it's not, we still live in a bubble, I have to say, like, you know, the, speaking about wellness as a holistic all round um, thing uh, mm. is, is, is still a little bubble, I think, you know, there's a lot of people out there who do still just focus on that weight being the sort of primary focus, which is a bit sad, but yeah. I kind of understand it as well. Yeah, I think when people say you look well, often in the general world, that means you look thin. It's, well, do you know what, though? I always thought if someone said to me, oh, you look healthy, in my head, I thought, oh, my God, they're calling me fat. <laughs> yeah, oh. what, do you know? Okay, oh. good. Do you think the same? Yeah, for girls, different story, Adam. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh so. God, okay. Yeah, absolutely. They tell me you look healthy. Oh, God, okay, right. Just keep my mouth shut, always. <laughs> but I think and now, I, actually... I was born to be in a family of like, just women as well. Yeah, no. They should have told me that at some point. But I, th I think now <laughs> it's moving towards uh, strong is the new thin. I think it's slowly yeah. moving in that direction, you know, being strong um, from the inside out is, is becoming more of a thing than how, you know, size zero, which but was But I guess there's another bad. issue with that. Obviously, it's far more healthier than being skinnier. But then there is sudden pressure that everyone needs a six-pack. Everyone needs that visible quad sticking out which mm. can lead to a kind of another extreme yeah can't it? there is finding this happy balance somewhere yeah like coming back to what you said i think you have to really visit those extremes to find your yeah. ultimate balance and maybe that ends up I being really, your purpose like what yeah, you're doing and now i really think like i am a bit of an extreme person like mm. you know once i start something i just want to do it yeah. and then i get so and i do it do it until I get bored of it almost. Mm. But I think balance is so important and therefore I think discipline is important for me. And I know this is different for everyone. I think for me, I've just lived this very sort of freestyle, you know, spontaneous life where spontaneous is the normal. And I think that's fine to a certain degree, but I think discipline for me, you know, writing things down sometimes, mm. um, sticking to certain things and committing to them and even in my own mind, is quite important because it makes me accomplish something rather mm. than leave it unfinished mm -hmm. and that's what i do a lot yeah are there, are there any new habits that you're currently trying to cultivate or trying to get rid of i am i'm really trying to cultivate sort of um you know how i was talking about the fasting and making sure i don't snack too much and um uh i have a real sweet tooth and i'm i, I think that's a constant struggle for me 
even though I say, you know, something I'm doing, I'm still trying to discipline and making that part of my system because like, I might wake up one morning and feel completely famished and want to eat. And that's listening to my body, of mm. course, but trying to commit to that discipline of not eating for two hours after I wake up, because that's what works for me. And that's what Ayurveda actually says, you know, don't eat immediately once you've woken up. Or, and why, you know, why is that? that? Yeah, why? Um, because they, uh, Ayurveda says wake up. For, and the other, sorry, the other discipline, and that go, um, goes hand in hand, is waking up early. Mm. It's something that I don't naturally, I'm not attuned naturally to do. And that's something that I need to keep reminding myself of doing. Mm. And when I do it, I feel amazing. And so mm. Ayurveda basically speaks about going according to the circadian rhythm, which yeah. is waking up with the sun. Obviously, that's a bit tricky right now because it's summer and the sun wakes up early. But, you know, as much as possible, waking up to the sun when the sun wakes up and eating according to the sun so if when the sun is at its strongest is when you have your largest meal which is at midday mm-hmm. um, and obviously that's not possible always but right now while we're at home that is more possible than, mm. than normal um, and also eating two hours after you've woken up because they say that that's when your digestive fire is that it, again stronger because when when you've woken up you want to have that water to flush things out of your system mm. you want to have warm water or like you know herbed water um and, or, or even an hour after waking up but not immediately is what they say and also i guess it delays that your your, your digestive fire is still waking up so doing some sort of movement first thing in the morning is really beneficial mm. and you know i think sometimes you listen to your body but sometimes you've got to understand well is it mind over matter is it sort of my body just saying something and i just need to sort of overcome it and sometimes it is that and sometimes i'm hungry but actually i just need lots of water so i'm i guess Mm. this has given me the time to sort of understand or fine-tune that thinking or fine-tune that response to the body and understand what's going on there yeah so going back to your journey then how did you at what point did you sort out your diets and find Ayurveda and change your life essentially yeah so Ayurveda came into my life um I I guess in a sense I've been doing that I've been doing a lot of Ayurvedic things growing up you know like I am in a family where uh we would have this thing called chavan brush every night which is an ayurvedic sort of churna or, or jam and it's really good for you and also the spices that you cook with that's all very ayurvedic but i i think like i said i lost my way in health and food and mm. i stopped eating indian food thinking it's you know got a lot of oil and that sort of thing what happened is when i was around 18 or in my early 20s i'd go to india a lot for different things for spirituality like i had a guru and he does these nine day recitals around the world and i used to go to india for endless amount of time or different parts of the world to listen to him and my dad would say to me okay you're going to India why don't you go to this Ayurvedic resort and you know stay there for a week or something and I don't really know what it was all about but I went and I went to every time I went to India I'd go to a new Ayurvedic place and I actually spent my 18th birthday at one of them um but anyway all by myself but the point (laughs) is that I do these five-day fast or like you know ayurvedic detoxes i didn't really know what i was doing i didn't even know what panchakarma meant or anything i just started thinking during those years that ayurveda was like a destination where you go there you do your detox thing and you come back and mm. you live normal life i just started thinking of it as a, as a place as opposed to a lifestyle right um, i didn't look into it too much and it's only more recently that i've realized how much ayurveda is just a lifestyle and there's so many things you can take back from it um so that's when i started sort of doing ayurveda or going to ayurvedic resorts and understanding and doing all these massages with you know not so great smelling oils and being slathered in them and sitting in the sunshine and going for beach swims and it was all lovely um but obviously at that time i was also going through my issues of like acne and weight and so i'd always love going to all these places um and and sometimes it would get worse and they'd say you know your skin might get worse initially before it gets better and it Mm. did get worse sometimes and it was horrible because you could go go from trying to detox and all this like stuff comes out on your face and you look even worse after Mm. it so that wasn't so great but um so I continued to do that and um I I guess I then sort of started going to different spas and different places around the world because I became a travel journalist and I started writing about um spas as well was that that your first was that your kind of first career travel journalism yes yes because but the thing is i got married just after i finished my degrees i became i actually studied um economics and politics and then i um did a postgraduate in journalism and then i kind of got married and i lived abroad and it just fit into my life at the time Mm -hmm. traveling was part of my life and 
travel journalism just sort of worked out in a way. Um, and I started writing for papers in Dubai. And I also ran a charitable organization while I lived in Uganda. So I lived between Dubai and Uganda a lot. Um, and so it's quite interesting, but also quite disorientating. Um, and and it it did wreak more havoc with my system because as it is, I wasn't eating so well. And then I travel and then I just eat even more erratically. Mm. And so it was years and years of constant, like trying to feel better, but actually thinking I'm being healthy, but not being healthy. Mm. And that was like the sort of crux of my life, you know, how I detox or how I feel less bloated or how I lose weight. And it was like a constant battle. And it's not like I didn't have a happy life. I mean, I had a lot of happy moments doing travel journalism and traveling lots. And I loved it. You know, I loved that lifestyle. But I think what I needed is what I now am doing, which is a little bit more day-to-day routine, a little bit more discipline um, to make sure that I adhere to certain things that make my body feel better. Mm. You were traveling loads. You started to incorporate it slightly. Then at what point did you think, okay, this is something I want to do more of, share with people, write books on it? That's quite a big, that's a big, not a big jump, but a big transition. Yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely is. To be honest, I... There was never a point where I thought um, I want to go into Ayurveda or I want to go into wellness. What, what it was, I, what happened is I was in India and during uh, one of my trips, so there was about a year where I was like unsure about whether I was going to be living in Dubai or London or whether I wanted to move to India. At, at the same time, my marriage was on the rocks. I didn't know what was happening. And I was going to India basically to do yoga. So I'd go from Dubai to Mumbai just randomly and just do a two-week yoga thing. And I was completely alone. I didn't know anyone in Mumbai then. I'd just stay somewhere and I'd just do lots of yoga. And at that time, one fine day, I just thought to myself, well, why am I bringing snacks to India when actually India's really, Indian food is really healthy? And then I was like, wait, all these years, I thought of Indian food as unhealthy because media told me I shouldn't be having oil and curries have oil, so I shouldn't eat that. So why have I been thinking that? And suddenly I started to deconstruct all these weird things that I've been thinking and thinking, oh my God, how is it, how ludicrous is it that I've been thinking like this and living my life in a very sort of thinking and being healthy and being really convinced by it about it, but actually I've been doing completely the opposite thing. And so suddenly I thought, oh my God, I've been, I've grown up in a family in London where we've eaten such delicious, authentic, healthy food, um, nourishing food, and I don't know anything about it. And I need to move back to London and learn all these amazing recipes from my grandmother, my mother, my aunts, and and write about it. And that was the moment where I thought, I want to write a book about Indian mm. food being healthy. And that's that's basically the sort of moment of, I guess moment of change or you know those moments that are defi- defining moments. yeah like mm. an epiphany where i thought where i thought oh i need to i need to write about this and then it sort of became my mission to understand and i guess coming from a point of fascination where i was like oh my god this is what went into the food that i ate when i was 10 years old like i had no idea coming from that point of fascination i wrote about these basic foods and basic dishes in a very sort of wow way like people if indians read my book my first book saffron soul they'll be like oh this is all the stuff that i sort of grew up eating and it's in a sense refreshing but in a sense they're like well it's kind of mundane you know mm-hmm. i can't read a book about like the restaurant food that we have but actually that's why so many people who are not indian have been able to cook recipes from my book without mm-hmm. needing too many ingredients or without taking too much time they just can recreate it so easily because it's home-cooked basic indian food Mm. which is actually so delicious and the kind of food you can have every day without thinking oh god this has too much butter and oil and and cream um so so that's the book that's the book i wanted to write it obviously didn't happen overnight like i started thinking about this book and it happened probably two three years later oh really you can't just yeah you can't just publish it like i didn't think i didn't anything about food world i didn't know anything about you know how it works or how you get a publisher or I have always loved writing mm. like I wrote two novels while I was married and I've not published them oh, yet. wow got an agent yeah got an agent for that and she's still sort of waiting but I still <laughs> just haven't, haven't published them they're still lying there um but the point is that I love writing and that's what came first for mm. me. so the food thing came much later and then once I'd written that book again I didn't know I wanted to go into Ayurveda my path was sort of more 
in the food sense, but I kept dabbling and my journey really began with yoga. And I, all I was doing during those five years of having moved back to London on my, I guess, my route to healing and feeling better and, and lost. I was really lost in the world because I didn't know what was happening next. My divorce was taking years and years. I didn't have friends left in London because I'd moved out of London seven years back and I came back and my friends were suddenly now getting married because I got married too early. So I was really lost at that time. And I was like, well, firstly, I don't, I don't know if I even can speak to those friends because they're all on a completely different mm. sort of stage of life. They have sort of forgotten about me. And how do I firstly make new friends? And secondly, I'm loving yoga, but I don't know anyone in yoga. So I'd go to try yoga and just sit there for hours after my class and hope to make friends. No, oh. it wasn't always like that. <laughs> Did you ever go to anyone and ask, <laughs> be my friend? Sometimes. No, 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 it wasn't like that. But I went to, no, no, the reason why I mentioned that is because I then started going on yoga retreats. So every year I'd go to a different yoga retreat. And I'm and, and it wasn't just to make friends, but I just, I had a lot of time at the time. And I, yoga retreats were becoming more popular. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to do this. Like, why not combine food and sorry um travel and yoga which is mm. what i really really love and meet people at the same time so i actually started going on yoga retreats and i loved them so every single year i went on yoga retreat and um and that wasn't so long ago anyway but the point is that i that was um i've never forgotten the question sorry i have as well <laughs> i'm just so in- intrigued by everything that oh, you're saying a, a god, like an enlightened moment was it yeah oh so long ago yeah keep oh, going anyway moment oh what what changed and what yeah. started me on the journey yeah so it was basically traveling and doing yoga and understanding and realizing that actually my journey began with not food it began with uh sort of quest for health a quest for wellness a quest for feeling better Mm -hmm. and then an agent sort of um met me and he was like well i've read all about you and i've read your book but actually i think you should write another book that's not about food and that's when the seed was sown for Mm -hmm. the second book which was all about ira the well-being rituals which again wasn't formulated initially i just wrote down thoughts and i was sitting sitting on the beach of uh, beaches of goa and um i basically spent two weeks writing and downloading all these thoughts uh, and and passages of like inspiration and from that we came up with the structure for the new book um and that's how it happened so it was a very organic process there was Mm. no plan yeah that's so interesting that excuse me that you've you've gone full circle really you had it all at the beginning in your upbringing and then you went through all of these different Mm. things thinking you could find it outside of yourself and actually it was there the whole time which is quite relevant can i ask you a a link to that a question about your family like when you were going off saying were you saying to them like your food is unhealthy this is when you were like a teenager were you like saying like your food's unhealthy i need to eat this food to be slim or whatever like did, was there ever any dialogue where they're like no it's not actually this yes. is <laughs> rebellion Totally. And you know what? It's weird. I can't believe they put up with me. I would say to them, no, why have you made a curry with so much oil? Why have you put this into this? And I just like, I was a really, I don't know what happened to me. I For, for years, I was convinced that all these curries and dals, you know, they had too much oil and I couldn't eat them and uh, I couldn't have a roti because, you know, it's wheat. Like all these silly things that I suddenly believed were true. Um, you know, you can't have wheat, you can't have rice, like things like that. And yet I'd go and have a special K-bar without even thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh. This is so me with, as well. With mixed berries in just to make it especially like healthy. I'm, I feel like I'm having a bit of a penny dropping moment. Like when you're saying all this, I'm thinking, I feel like I'm you a couple of years ago, maybe, <laughs> or a few years ago with the not eating the roti yeah. and the rice, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, they're not, they're not good for you, are they? But you're making me think otherwise. No, I'm not saying that they're, I'm not saying you can overdo it. Like I think Indians can be really unhealthy. They can overdose yeah. on the ghee. They can overdose on the sugar in, in certain things. I completely agree. And the roti doesn't need that much ghee on it. It just mm. needs a tiny bit. What I mean is that I was foregoing all those things and having processed things. Mm-hmm. So actually what's better? And also, you know, you do need a balance in your meal. So, you know, why do we have a rotis because and why do you have greens and why do you have lentils because proteins carbs fats make your plate you know so whether you're having the carbs from quinoa or mung beans all these things contain a little bit of carbs and a little bit of protein and as a vegetarian you need all these things 
um, or even if you're not vegetarian, you need a bit of protein and a little bit of greens. And so actually, uh, a tali, which is what I grew up eating, does have that balance as long as it's not overdosing on those. So yes, you need that ghee to mm -hmm. be able to digest everything else. Ghee really nourishes your system and your body, but you don't need too much. So a tiny bit of slather of ghee yeah. on your roti is actually a good thing. Yeah. But I'd be like, Okay, I'll have one roti, but actually I'll have it without ghee. And rice is really bad for me. And yes, I think rice can be bad for me, but Ayurveda says otherwise. Ayurveda says, you know, you should have white rice and not overdo it. But yeah. again, you know, it depends on what your body is like. And it depends on the time of year as well. At this time of year, you won't need as many carbs. In winter, you might be craving something like a kitchri, mm. which has the basmati rice and the mung beans. So it, it's working according to the season, but also according mm. to what your body needs. Yeah. And I get, it's quite confusing this idea in modern society of are we trying to eat what is good for us or are we trying to eat the things that make us look a certain way? So I think like undoubtedly if you eat lo like lots of rice, you will not necessarily have the skinny body or the super toned body, yeah. but your body might be infinitely healthier. It's coming back to balance, I think again, isn't it? And everyone's unique. Or just or understanding why you why you are doing something and being being honest with yourself, saying, okay, I'm eating this way because I want this, mm. and one and uh, and evaluating your answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed that, it, it, you know, you want that particular body and all of that. But then when I crave something and I go for a protein bar or something sweet, mm. um, rather than having the rice with my dal, like, do you know what I mean? That's yeah. what I tend to do more. Yeah. I tend to, to convince myself or, can, you know, there's that thing in my mind that I just need that something sweet and I'll go for it, but yeah. I'll forego that meal mm. for that. Which, which I think that's where the balance is not yeah. quite right. I'm so with you on the sweet tooth. It's ridiculously out of control. So I might have to get some tips <laughs> when, from when you I afterwards. When I met Holly, she was like eating grenade bars. Oh, I, I was. Think I was on, on, on like a daily basis. No, you, know when you, you know when you convince yourself that something's healthy, like one part of you yeah. knows that you're being ridiculous, but the other half's like, well, it says no sugar and no fat and no anything. But it's, also, so it's obviously it's, healthy It's for also me. birthday cake flavour. <laughs> <laughs> And also tastes so good. <laughs> so good. Anything that tastes that good, I just, I don't know. Um, so going back a little bit, how, wh wh what point did you, you started on your Ayurveda journey and you went back to the things that you were having from your childhood. So how long did it, did you start, uh, did it take for you to notice the difference in your, your mood and your skin and your, your overall health? Um, yeah, how long did that take? It really was, a, it, I can't, pinpoint how long but it's a really long journey it's not like I sort of thought if I start eating healthy my hair will get better but mm -hmm. actually years later I look at my hair and I think god I used to have a hair issue I actually thought I had a bald patch here and there are photos where I actually think oh my god I can't put that photo out because I have a bald patch here mm -hmm. but actually why is my hair growing back I mean I think part of it's to do with how well I've been eating but also part of it's to do with happiness and yeah. I think it all goes hand in hand and that's what has made me realize that, that things like Ayurveda where they speak about mind body spirit it all goes hand in hand yeah you know yes food makes you feel better and actually helps you you know th there are studies to show that eating well and eating healthy can help the people with depression so actually th there is that but there's also you know focusing and working on yourself like doing yoga and doing breath work and doing things that work for you going for a holiday with friends you know that even that is a source of happiness yeah and working on yourself holistically um can show results over time mm. and that's why quick fixes will always give you those quick fixes so you, know, you lose weight in a diet yeah but doing something like Ayurveda or something holistic where you're working on yourself, you know, holistically in every sort of way um, and listening to podcasts, whatever it is. I, I, during the five years of being lost or whatever I was doing, I used to listen to a lot of Alan Watts. And that I really love Alan Watts. Yeah, he's amazing, yeah. literally. So anytime I feel a little bit lost, a little bit, Put I think I've had on. every single one out there, but I can just listen to them again and again. He's got such and, a good voice. Yeah, I know, I know. I could just fall asleep listening to him. It's just amazing. Yeah. Um, and also everything he says, even though he lived in a different age, it, it's so relevant right now. Oh, well, because it's it's wisdom, isn't it? And I think that's always going to be relevant. You just dress it up in different words and at different times. Yeah. And, but it's in, it's the always... in the same way as you read a lot of ancient texts. Uh, I'm going to use kind of some of the Roman texts as an example. Like you read Seneca's letters and you replace forum with just market. And yeah, they, could have been, they could have been written yesterday. Yeah. You just replace a few key words. Different words, but universal truths. And it always shines through yeah. in the end, doesn't it? 
on the on the on the more practical side of things which is kind of my bias here we go yeah (laughs) i'm just kind of intrigued with how you uh like how you got your like book deal initially and how you kind of made that happen like was it just relentless i know i'm sure writing the book was relentless work but even getting to that place initially like how did you manage that yeah i mean to be when people ask me about books it's so such a it's a field that you just there's no there's no route there's no uh path it's really it's really like it's not luck it's work as well but you do need to i don't know like find an agent or that's the usual route so for me i'll tell you how it happened um i basically wrote the initial um proposal when i first thought about the initial book which was actually going to be called green dial stories randomly enough and i wrote that three years before i published my first book saffron soul so i wrote that proposal and it was quite a heavy proposal there was quite a few photos in there and everything and then i i sent it off to um an agent who really loved the proposal. He was really thrilled about it. And he was like, oh, I'm going to get you a book deal ASAP. Um, sent it out to loads of publishers. And he said, you know, by the end of it, he was like, look, they all came back and said, really great idea. Love what she's doing. But who is she? Like, we never heard of this girl. And I think you can't really publish a book, especially which is nonfiction and in food, unless you're either well known or you have a restaurant. Like you kind of mm. need to be known in some way, shape or form, which is again, the missing piece I didn't realize. So I was like, oh my God, what do I do now? And suddenly out of the blue, I started just randomly experimenting with the recipes that I knew and creating my own. And in the process of doing that, I walked into say, Royal Press in Dover Street at the time or into Hoban Dining Rooms in the Rosewood just to have breakfast one day. And I started talking to people there, the owners, and they they were like, oh, okay, what do you do? And then I gave them the balls, the energy balls that I'd made over the day before. I mean, literally, this is the story. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, let's sell these in the deli and in the restaurant. And, and that, from that, it went to the next thing, which was a cheer pudding with cardamom and, and, and cinnamon. So they started selling it at the Rosewood Deli. And then one day, the chef calls me and says, we want to put this on the menu. And so I was like, okay, what does that mean? And they were like, well, you have to deliver it to us. And I didn't have any license uh-huh. or nothing. I just started delivering it. So that's how that happened. And then I started getting known, I guess, a little bit to the extent where two years later a publisher said yes because it was an original idea which is home-cooked Gujarati food no one had done that before and secondly luckily by that point I'd created a a, a slight name for myself I wouldn't even say it was enough to get a book deal but I think she found the idea very original and you had associations as in you had uh, names that you could drop in there. Yes, yeah, And and were clearly showing signs of development. Like you were likely to be getting into more restaurants, et cetera, in the future. Yeah, exactly. And they did focus, and I think publishers do focus a lot on social media. At Mm. the time, social media was only like three, I mean, Instagram was what, three years old or four years old. And, you know, they were looking at numbers. So like Mm. the person who introduced me said, you need to start working on like more engagement and following more people and, you know, that sort of thing. And so overnight, literally, I took a month to do all of that because they were looking at numbers and they were, Mm. you know, they were assessing based on that as well. And they also tried my food. I took in like, you know, little boxes of like four dishes that I would make in the book. And um, so, yeah, they helped me define that concept of Saffron Soul. She actually, Jackie Small, to her credit, came up with the idea of um, of the book in a way, because my book was by that point had gone away from the traditional element and more towards the sort of my new creations. And she said, no, 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 let's bring it back to the traditional and let's make it a real combination where it's 60% traditional and 40% your own original sort of inspiration mm-hmm. creations, because we want this to be a timeless book. Um, and actually, we want it to be a beautiful coffee table book that happens to be Indian and healthy. No, sorry, that happens to be healthy, but not necessarily singing about health at the, because we want it yeah. to be timeless. So it's actually primarily vegan, but you know we don't want to sing about that on the on the front cover. And, um, so it's a really interesting concept, yeah. And what was the process like in actually writing it? It seems very arduous. That, yeah, to be honest, I think when it's food and recipes, they're quite easy. Um, by that point, I'd written a lot of recipes. And actually, you know, the paragraph um, above the recipe, which, you know, to the intro to the recipe, that came afterwards anyway. And that came very naturally to me because I'm a writer to start with. 
Um, I didn't write so much for that book. Yes, I wrote an introduction and there was a paragraph with each each recipe, but I didn't write, write, write for that book. So actually it was more the recipes. It was actually, you know, making sure that what we put in the book is what we're all happy with. And they, you know, they came back to me and they slashed about 10 recipes and said, okay, this doesn't sound Indian enough. This doesn't sound Indian enough. And they wanted to make every single page like very Indian. So, um, so, you know, we did a lot of back and forth and I'm really happy with the fact that they, they edited or they took so much time and care into assessing what recipes go into the book because because actually what they've created is a timeless book that in 10 years time will be as relevant as it is now which i'm so thrilled Mm. about Mm. did you ever have any points uh during either of your books that you were writing where you uh, were you always in your flow with it and thought oh my god this is my purpose i'm i'm going forward it's going to come out it's going to be amazing or did you have moments where you felt like you were failing or or of self-doubt or where you wanted self-sabotage at all I definitely, while I was writing them, I was just on a mission. Mm. Like, I was just like, I need to just, that, this is my mission right now. I need to we're focus on getting it out. Once it came out, I think you get that moments of, moment of um, anticlimax a little bit. Okay. Um, you know, you just sort of feel, oh, like, but I did do a, I did, I did a bit of a party, like a, a launch party for my first book, not for my second book, mm. um, for various reasons, because I just don't think they pay off. It was fun doing the first party and uh and that made me feel like something had happened yeah. in a way um and a lot of people turned up and it was just really really lovely evening we did it at a farm girl in notting hill oh, and yeah. filled up the whole space it was beautiful um the i think you know i think i did have that sense of oh what have i there there are moments where i feel like wait what have i done this book these books for what am i writing for because it's not like you make money from books and that's one thing people don't understand mm-hmm. At some point, you see the rewards, but you know if mo- if it's monetary. But you've got to do it for the love of writing. Yeah, of course. It's your sort of, I guess, it's your business card. It gives you credibility. Mm. Um, and I'm really happy with both of them. And I think I would go back and do them over again. Mm. Um, but obviously, at the time, it's an arduous process. You know, the the editing, especially. Oh my god! With the second book, obviously, it was a lot more writing, as you know. There's no, there's lots of recipes, but none of them are photographed. But it's it's more focused on the structure of the writing the principles the rituals um and the spirituality aspect which comes into it and that i I sort of needed to go into isolation for that like this you know last year at the beginning of last year i kind of did a practice isolation for a few months Uh. where i literally just didn't meet anyone and i went to my cafe because i just launched it and i wrote this book because they haven't given me much time partly because i wanted to i was in a rush to publish it and they actually, they were almost like, do you really think you can write this book in two months? Like we need it in two months. Wow. And I said, yeah, if you give me, if you give me that, if you give me that sort of deadline, I'll work for that. Because I work, I work to deadlines more. And obviously then there was like edit on edit on edit. And that, that was a laborious process, I have to say. But I think if you take it a bit at a time and don't feel daunted by the whole Mm-hmm. you can do it and did, that's exactly how i did it did you have like anyone supporting you during this like so anyone that you except for the publisher and the editor and editors etc like did you have any friends that had done something similar like anyone that could give you advice outside of that world no you know that's a really interesting question i no, I think it was just the teams that were supporting me. Mm. Um, because the first book, again, I did it when I didn't really know that many people in the food world. Actually, my networking in the food world only began after I launched the first book. Mm-hmm. So actually, so I know so many people in like food now and Instagrammers and this person, that person, which I could have invited to my first you know, book, book <laughs> launch. Um, that probably would have helped me to give all these shout outs. But I, I started doing that process of networking after my first book because I didn't know how to network before. I kind of knew there was a circle of people out there, but I didn't know how to pen- penetrate it in a way. Um, and the second book was obviously not then food. It was Ayurveda, it was rituals, it was, it was wellness. And again, while I you know, dabbled in wellness and knew yoga teachers, I didn't know anyone that had actually written a book in wellness. So no, I don't think I knew anyone. That, obviously now, Afterwards, I know loads of people. Yeah. <laughs> and do you have do you have more books in beyond your novels? Yeah. Do you want to do more? 
Is there an intention to do yeah, more? Yeah, I'm books? actually working on on a proposal right now. So oh. it, at the beginning of lockdown, someone actually asked me the same question. I said, no, 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 I don't really, not thinking about anything right now. But funnily enough, I've been studying integrated health for the last few months. And my I've been speaking to my agent and we've come up with a, cons, a very, again, organic, fluid concept that doesn't have a structure yet. But I've been jotting down lots of thoughts. And it's basically combining wellness and food so it's combining both my books so we're going to be doing recipes but it's a more of a plan a life plan i guess um with nutrition with sort of um how you can do your day according to food how you can sort your rituals out and your practices out according to food rather than bringing food food as part of the equation so the food is the main equation but you're bringing sort of food rituals and other sort of nuggets of knowledge i guess um into the book mm. um i just I, I i'm still confused about the book even though i've written a lot about it or i t- already written a lot of it and i've just sent off my proposal on the weekend uh, but i'm still confused as to how it will look and i'm hoping my agent will help me figure that one out can i ask you you said books don't generally make that much money uh but then you said, you know, it's often like a business card. And I've heard many of my friends who've written books say that, you know, it's nice to have that out there. You know, you can get the blue tick on Instagram if you have a book and a like. So it's, what's a motivator to continue to write more books? Is again, is it just because of the love of getting the message out there? Or is the intention that as you write more and get more well-known, there is more chance of making money out of it? What What's kind of the motivator? I guess... For me, writing is quite, gives me purpose, Mm. number one. Secondly, I think I wasn't thinking about another book. So, you know, the beginning of lockdown, when I was speaking to my agent, he he was giving me some ideas and I just was like, no, no, no. I really need to focus on what's next and maybe becoming a practitioner or doing something that Mm. actually, you know, I do need to focus on the financial aspect. And so he was like, fine, let's just leave the idea for now. And then when he came back to me with a with a new idea, which I actually really liked, um, two months later, I'd studied a bit by that point and it made sense to me. But at the same time, he said, you know, a, um, a new book deal that we do, I will not settle for anything less than X amount, which is a lot higher than, than I got for my first two books. Mm. And that, I think, has become a lot more important for me. You know, I settled for my first book because... I really wanted to do them. Mm. And I think the advance now, I think would matter to me a lot more because firstly, I know my worth a bit more and I've published two books now. And secondly, it does matter because at the end of the day, if you're not going to, if you know that it's going to take time to make money, you want that advance to be good enough for you to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that's a motivation because even that amount of money is not the biggest motivation, but it's definitely more and it de- definitely gives you a bit more of a reason uh, or helps you um, sort of define the worth of that time that you're spending yeah, doing it. Yeah. Um, but you also got to feel that you're, you're putting something out there that's not really there. And that's what, that was my issue before, where I was like, I don't know if I can write another book without reinventing a wheel. Mm. And I don't want to reinvent a wheel. Like, I don't want to just write a book because, because you do a third book. Um, so I, and I guess, I guess it boils down for me to, I've always been fascinated by books more than anything else. And, you know, again, like I said, I've written those two novels, but even during my, um, years abroad, funnily enough, I've not actually put it out there ever, but I wrote a guidebook in, because I was a travel journalist and someone asked me to write a guidebook to Dubai and I wrote a guidebook at the time. So I have published another book before that in a different name. But the point is that, um, I, I think for me, writing was like always the first thing that came to mm. me. You know, I whenever I think of my healing process, it's writing. That obviously, I talked about yoga and I talked about the rituals and all of that's really important. But I, I think the novel that I wrote at the time was actually my process of healing, mm. part of it anyway. Um, so yeah. Do you think that everyone comes here with a purpose and that writing is yours? That's really interesting. I'm really wanting to figure out that purpose right mm. now because I th- I think, you know, there, there must be, in a way, I think if I would figured out a five-year plan, I'd been a bit more strategic about it. I think m- maybe I wouldn't have done all this. Maybe I wouldn't have organically flown into 
the field of Ayurveda wellness um, from food or even done food. But at the same time, I crave that sometimes. I crave that sort of structure, mm -hmm. which other people say, oh yeah, I'm putting my mind to this, I'm going to do it. And I've never had that. And I don't know why. I kind of really, I want that, but I don't think... I don't know if I figured out my purpose really. I'm so with you, but I found it honestly so refreshing. And I was so pleased when you said that you've never, we've talked about it before. You said you've never lived by the five year plan thing. You've always just kind of done things as you've felt into them. And I, I don't know, I think that might be a better way. Or I guess everyone's different and works differently, but I think why not go with your gut and see where it takes you. And that's what you've done and you're yeah. proving to be really successful. And I, I know lots of people that have been trapped by their five-year plan. Mm, because there's like no room one, to be they flexible. They realised they didn't really want it. Then got to year five, achieved it, and then immediately went back to the drawing board. I think we've been taught to be that way, but actually maybe that's not the way because there's no room to be to move and be flexible and people are changing all the time, you know, day to day. Yeah, I think if you value purely objective success, then these kind of five-year plans work. And you probably need a five-year plan if you're mm. just wanting to make a certain amount of money and you need to be, as you say, strategic in that. But if you actually value doing something you enjoy with life... And staying I, curious as well. Yeah, staying curious and staying interested and being mm. open and flexible to change. I think uh, yeah. I'm not a massive Maybe it's personality type. Mm. Yeah, no, of course, of course. We're going to move to the quick fire round now. Unless you had, any, sorry, <laughs> yeah, any, sure. unless you had anything to say following that. No, this is just such a fascinating chat. I feel like it's been really like a good food for thought for me as well. Yeah. So for me, question, well, these can be quick fire. They can be slightly slower quick fire. Uh, <laughs> is there, have you had any advice along the way that was either so good you want to share it or so bad you're so glad you ignored it? So to, any, like to anyone else that is going on, on maybe a similar path to you? Gosh, any really good advice that I wanted to share it. Um, gosh. Or oh, it could even be bad advice that you've had that you really will people to ignore if they get that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the good advice would be that just not caring too much about what others think. I think that judgment can really be... Um, crippling mm -hmm. and the judgment we inflict on ourselves and valuing yourself um, more and believing that you can do it because actually these paths, you know, like I said, with publishing or whatever you're trying to do in the arts world, they're not really set paths. Everyone has a different path and a reason for doing it. Um, and believing that you can do that because, you know, I look at yoga teachers sometimes and I think, oh my God, I love yoga so much, but, but could I actually dedicate myself to becoming a teacher? No, 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 it's too, it's too hard, it's too hard. But I know I can, if I put my mind to it, mm. I'll be able to do it. So not being put off by, by the models out there because they've also had a journey. Mm, love that. Okay, selfish one from me. You, you have a sweet tooth, fellow sweet tooth sister. Um, any, <laughs> any healthy sweet treats that you can, maybe like a recipe that you have that you can point me and other sweet tooth listeners to? Oh yeah, I mean, I love. I have to send you some of my fudge, which yes, is um, made with chickpea flour, dates, <laughs> coconut oil, and cardamom. So it's cooked. Oh yeah. No, I wouldn't say that's my. That's. I mean, it's lovely. It's delicious, but it um it requires you know making it and cooking it, and um it might take a bit a little bit long. Um, I would say quick ones. I would say yesterday I had my my new favorite go to like sweet thing to have. I know it's really simple, yeah. but I got the best tahini right now. Bella Zoo gifted me this amazing tahini. And I've been having two days, my, my general everyday like, delicious snack in the afternoon is mm. two dates, gooey medjool dates, yeah. drizzled with tahini, like, like a whole big teaspoon oh of tahini, God. cinnamon. And then if I want, then a couple of walnuts. But oh my God, oh my it's so good, God. honestly. I bet that's quite and obviously filling. obviously peanut butter is delicious. But oh my yeah, God, peanut. Is. We could have a whole other podcast on this without Adam because he doesn't understand <laughs> what sweet stuff is. Yeah. I mean, I love it. I love hipping that almond. The problem is I don't oh, order yeah. this stuff because if I have that tub in front of me, I will finish yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, people have done so well, haven't they? Oh God, they're so good. Uh, yeah, I, mean, so... I met them when they were starting out in London and they came to a studio I was in saying, oh, we're going to sell these like little sachets of nut butter. I remember thinking at the time, like, who would want that? Me. That's not going to be a thing. Like, it's nice, <laughs> but who would want to buy a little sachet of nut butter? Me. Turns out I was I mean... completely wrong. <laughs> and five years later, my, like, our cabinet is yeah. just full of it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Got a whole cabinet dedicated to nut butter. Oh, On that note, goodness. where would you like us to refer people to? Uh, and like your website, uh, books, etc. Sure. What would you, anything you want to mention or your Instagram handle? Yeah, sure. So my Instagram is usually where I post everything and my website actually, but it's Mira Manic at Mira Manic, M-I-R-A-M-A-N-E-K and my website's miramanic.com. I am on Facebook and Twitter, both of them Mira Manic. And I um, have written two books, like I said, and they're both on my website, but also on Amazon. So if you just search either my name or Prajna or Saffron Soul, they'll both come up. And that's, that's basically it. Or can we? Can you back? Can, of course, my cafe. <laughs> where, and where? Where is your cafe? It's Try Yoga Soho. Soho, yeah. yeah yes. I've so had, at some point we'll launch again. I've had many of your energy balls from there. Obviously, I've had lots of chai. Oh. Chai's been my thing oh, from there. Chai. But thank yeah. you. Thanks so much. For, it's been thank an absolute you. pleasure. And you've also got it's worth people knowing. You're doing Instagram lives as well, aren't you? Where you're chatting to people at the moment is that right yes this week i'm this week has been my week off but generally i've been doing wellness chats uh mondays wednesdays and fridays and a couple of cook-alongs which i'm so i'm mixing it up um and i've been sticking to at least so far 11 a.m on monday wednesday friday but that changes sometimes when i'm doing it with the u.s so just check it out on my yeah. on my stories yeah awesome. thank you so thank much thank you so much thank you such a pleasure to chat to you both Honestly, I'm balanced.